0: So the new sermon series we're doing is going to be out of a book. I got uh, this suggested to me by Steve Tollefson. Uh, It's called Jesus is the Question uh, by Martin Copenhaver. So we're going to do a whole series on the questions Jesus asks. Because like a good Jew, Jesus uh, rarely answers a question directly. He's got a lot of stories. Got a lot of jokes. Got a lot of exaggeration. I mean, we don't think of them as jokes, right? But the the camel going through the eye of a needle, right? This is a joke, right? This is funny. He's got a lot of questions. So the, the book starts off, why is it that Jewish people often answer a question with a question? And the answer is, why shouldn't a Jewish person always say... You get it, right? So being a good Jewish rabbi, this is what Jesus often does. And I find this to be important for us to consider that Jesus asks more questions than he answers. When he's asked direct questions, he rarely answers them. In fact, the author went through, right, counted them up. So Jesus asks 307 questions in the Gospels, which are not that long, right? 307. He is asked by others 183 questions. He answers Three directly. 183 questions, he answers three directly. So this is not like one off. This is a pattern. But this should make some sense to us because questions are powerful. Questions uh, force you to think. Questions mean you have to engage. Questions enter you into a relationship, into a dialogue. Questions Promote further conversation. Answers stop the conversation. Answers put a period. Answers um, answers often shut down conversation. So I think in part Jesus asks questions because it's going to make sure that we develop the kinds of traits we need, like um, like humility, right? Like Socrates asks a bunch of questions, and when he does the person who is asked realizes very quickly that I know less than I thought about this. It's humbling, right? Like, I don't know as much as I pretend to know. I think Jesus does something similar. I think questions are important because it demands that you become critical thinkers. I become a critical thinker. Like, hey, Joe, here's a list of four questions, and now I've got to really think through this. This is like, I'm, I'm on the spot now to really begin to contemplate. It, questions make you self-reflective. I mean, the best sermons, I hope, leave you with a fundamental question that you have to mull over. The best sermons don't give you a bunch of content to internalize. And Jesus certainly doesn't do that. So is there any question at all... So like, here's how I picture it. Like, I picture if we got to ask Jesus questions, I like picture Jesus like the press secretary, right? Right? <laughs> Uh, like fielding questions from the press or whatever. It's like, uh, yes, Harry from the Boise. Again, I don't know why Jesus talks like that. Boise, because that, you have your question. And it's like, Jesus, Jesus. Everyone's raising their hand like, yes, you. It'll be like, uh, you say you're the Prince of Peace, Jesus, but why so much violence in the world? Why do, why do so many bad things happen to good people? Is there any doubt that Jesus would not say, well, read Exodus? <laughs> well, you know, Isaiah says, uh, you know what Jesus would do? He'd say, there once was a man who had two sons. Do you have any doubt that that's how he would respond? Um, there was this guy named Job who was wealthy and had many, many lands. And Right? That's what he would do. That's what the Bible does. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like, yes, Sam from Idaho Statesman. <laughs> Jesus, why do you talk like that? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, Jesus, Jesus, well, uh, Are you? Uh, what do you think about the, like the new immigration policy or something? There was a man who took the road down to Jericho, right? Who's my neighbor? He would ask a question. He would tell a story. He would demand you think for yourself. He would demand you engage critically. He wouldn't give you some simple answer. He doesn't do it. Jesus, Jesus, oh, yes, uh, Virginia, back the back. Can someone be, like, gay and Christian? Well, let me tell you a story about a person, right? Let me tell you about a vineyard owner who had a son or a daughter. That's how he would answer. And you are going to now learn to engage and lean in and not away. There's not going to be some easy solution some answer that makes everyone feel better in fact jesus rarely makes people feel better who wants to be challenged to have to really think and grow to cultivate compassion and humility you know what i'm really bad at though cuz i i mean i say all this stuff you know what i'm really bad at asking questions i'm really bad at it have you ever been at a gathering and you'll be, you'll just all of a sudden be struck with someone who just asks really good questions, who's like really curious, looks at you deeply and it's like, oh, how did that make you feel? What made you want to do that? And you'll think like, they care. Like they, they see me. They want to know. I wonder what it would be like for us to not have all the answers as Christians. Because we don't but instead we really engaged people well and asked good questions. Because I'm convinced that the quality of the questions that we ask will directly affect the quality of the life we lead. Way more than the answers, and I'll give some examples. I tell my students this all the time. The quality of the questions you ask, because you're asking yourself questions, not verbally, sometimes you're just thinking the questions, but you're asking them all the time, right? And a lot of students, I'll say this, I'll say, some of you are in here right now and you're saying, you know, how can I get out of NNU as quick as possible with a major that will make me the most money, right? Like four years business, what would, what, what, what can, I don't want to go to grad school. Right? Like, I just want to get through this, make some money, business, marketing, pre-law, what is it? And I say, I don't care how you answer that question. It's a bad question. You could answer that question 30 different ways. But it's not a good question. It's going to lead your life down a certain path. But what if you just changed the question? What if you said something like, what am I gifted at? What am I passionate about? How can I use that to meet the needs of the world? Do you see how those questions are different? And you might answer that a hundred different ways. What am I gifted at? What am I passionate about? What I don't care how you answer, the answer is unimportant. If you ask that question, your life will immediately take a different track than if you ask the first question. The quality of the questions you ask will affect the quality of the life that you lead many times when i walk into a room the question i'm asking is what do they think of me what are they thinking of me what are they thinking of me and it doesn't matter how i answer it if i'm asking that question it's the wrong question because then then do you want to know what i'm not asking i wonder if they feel lonely i wonder if they feel weird right now i wonder how i can make them feel more comfortable i'm not asking those questions because i'm asking a different one the quality of the questions we ask regardless of how we answer them will lead us down a certain path. I spend a lot of time thinking about how to secure love, ensure that Kel keeps loving me, or my kids keep loving me, or that you keep loving me. But I'm asking that question in such a weird way because the question I'm not asking is, how do I learn how to love well? What does is, what is loving others really entail? Because I'm too busy worrying about garnering it. What questions are you asking? And you might not be asking them verbally, but you're processing them. And are they the right kinds of questions? Are they the kinds of questions Jesus might ask? So here's today's question. It comes from, I believe it's the Gospel of John, but my brain is so frozen I'm not sure. Yeah, John chapter 1. This is uh, the calling of the disciples in the Gospel of John. The next day John was standing again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, What are you looking for? What are you looking for? That's a good question. And they said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? One of the 183 questions right there. Where are you staying? And Jesus replied, Come and see. <laughs> he doesn't answer. He doesn't just tell them. Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. What are you looking for? In some context, this is like the least interesting question ever. Like when Sullivan's rifling through his drawers uh, and can't find something, and I say, What are you looking for? That's not very interesting. But when Jesus looks at followers and says, what is it you're looking for that's profound and I wonder what you're looking for I wonder what I'm looking for because I can promise that what I'm actually looking for what the deepest part of me is looking for isn't going to be found in most of the things I do isn't going to be found in most of the things I engage in what I'm really looking for is probably not at the bottom of a bottle or at the end of a Netflix show or uh, in a video game, or right in the People magazine, I'm perusing. What I'm looking for is something deeper than that, something more than that. And I'm guessing you too, because most of us, I know for me, I often feel this like latent nagging sense of dissatisfaction with my life. Like something's not quite complete. Something's not right in my relationships or at work or in my relationship with God or with my children. Like I have a gnawing sense that something is missing and something is lacking. What am I looking for? What do I really want? What do I love? What will fill my soul? So this is the question that Jesus asks them very early on. Of course, what most of the disciples are looking for is not what Jesus offers. Power, safety, stability. He doesn't offer any of that. It's like the opposite. But I think at bottom, I'm going to, so like now I'm going to violate the whole sermon series. It seems to me that at bottom, what I really want is unconditional love. I want a deep sense of being connected with you all, united, loved, fed, supported in a way that just never seems possible. Even when things are great, it still feels like tenuous, unstable, less than the kingdom of God. That what I want is to be known and to be seen. So here are these words uh, from Martin Copenhaver. What we desire is not merely to be with those we love, but to be united with them in a way that is not possible even when they are present. It is to be together in ways that are impossible in this life and we can only barely approach it in our dreams. What we long for is to have the broken and scattered pieces of our lives brought together in ways that we are unable to do on our own. And that is why I have concluded that our longing, what can feel something like homesickness, is in some way a yearning for God. It is a desire and a yearning for a special kind of homecoming, not just to be home with loved ones, but to find home with God the one the psalmist calls our dwelling place in all generations. I am convinced that we all long for the presence of God with a deep, aching hunger. A hunger as sure as the hunger for food, but with this difference we do not know how to fill it. We do not know what we're really looking for. So we go all over the place in our different addictions and distractions. St. Augustine observed that our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. The philosopher Blaise Pascal made a similar point by saying that each of us is born with an empty place in our hearts in the shape of God. That's what I'm looking for. And that's what the disciples were looking for. And my prayer is that we continue to ask this question so that we might cut through the fog of our lives and the crap that we fill it with, to get at the heart of it. We need more of God, more of each other, more grace, and more love. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for asking us more questions than you answer. Thank you for trusting us enough to think for ourselves, to think with each other, for asking questions that draw us into dialogue and relationship with you, asking questions that cut right to the deepest part of our souls, our deepest longing. I pray that we would continue to fumble our way in the dark, to get closer to you, to get a taste for that unconditional love that you provide, that kind of homecoming we desperately long for. Amen. Please stand for our closing song.